Hello and welcome to your Smug Buds episode for March 2021. I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined as always by Liz. Hi, Liz. Hey, Will. How are you? I'm very good. Um, I'm very tired in not like a sleepy way, but in like a body tired way. Okay. Well, hopefully the not sleepy part <laughs> means that I won't put you to sleep or oh, you never cause would. you to yawn. Uh, <laughs> well, I do yawn sometimes on the podcast. And that's okay. That's what <laughs> that's editing like is for. <laughs> I know. I know. So uh, happy Friday. We're happy recording Friday. on a Friday night and mm-hmm. unfortunately... We are in different parts of the country, and we are now that it's late March in that time of year when there is a three-hour difference between us, not a two-hour difference. And uh, it's about 6.30 here, so it's about 9.30 there. So thank you uh, for staying up past your bedtime to indulge me uh, in this episode of The Pod. Uh, Is there anything you wanted to discuss uh, in or out of old business? I don't think I have any old business, but can I tell you about this cocktail I'm drinking? Yeah, please do. (laughs) So, um, have you, do you ever go to Starbucks? Mm. I, you know, I have and I, and I used to, but not, I don't, I I no longer have a habit of it. I guess I never did, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. You're not unfamiliar with Starbucks. Well, so in this area, we don't have any local coffee shops. We have Uh, one local coffee shop that's in Rockville. So it's like very inconvenient. It's not like. It's not like we would ever just stop by there for coffee. Like I occasionally will in the before times would go there mm-hmm. to work and it was like an ordeal, right. you know? Um, so if we want to get coffee when we're out and about, our options are Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. So mm-hmm. we do frequent Starbucks more often than I'd really like. I would just like to say quickly that if I were in that position, I would go Dunkin' Donuts probably well, 90% of the time. Let me tell you, we do go to Dunkin' Donuts very often, but do you know what has a drive-thru? Starbucks. That's huge. Okay. They have one that's right. They have one that's right. So we have a Dunkin' Mm -hmm. Donuts walking distance, Mm -hmm. but there's a Starbucks just slightly past walking distance. Like it would be walking distance if there wasn't a really major roadway there. Now I see. And so um, not only do we frequent the Starbucks because it's the pandemic, we've been frequently frequenting the Starbucks with the drive-thru because of Elliot. I see. Because when I was like, when Elliot was, for example, a baby, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to take him out of his car seat into a Starbucks. Of course. <laughs> so, um, which is to say that, it, you know, it's convenience and yeah, I'm I'm way about Dunkin' Donuts coffee as well. It's also cheaper and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have this new drink at Starbucks okay. that has actually been fairly popular out in the world. Like I've mm-hmm. seen other people talk about it. That is a um, uh, brown sugar oatmeal cold coffee. Mm-hmm. So it's got this brown sugar syrup, and then it's got a layer of um, cold foam on the top um, that's made of oat milk. And then they put cinnamon both – cinnamon's like in maybe the syrup, and then it's also sprinkled on the top. Mm-hmm. And it's very good. So – um, I realized I was uh, working and, and came across a YouTube video where somebody recreated this at mm-hmm. home. And I thought, I could do that. Yeah. So the main thing is I made this brown sugar syrup where I actually used molasses and regular sugar to make it more 
molasses-y. Uh-huh. And then I steeped a whole cinnamon, and not like a little cinnamon stick like you would get from like McCormick, but one of the like cinnamon sticks that you get from like the Mexican grocery store. Sure. That's like bigger. Uh-huh. So I made that syrup and then with vanilla too. And then um, when I topped it, I didn't have oat milk. So I used I used heavy cream and milk, Ooh, which I added vanilla to. And let me tell you, tasted like ice cream. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so I made this beautiful, beautiful drink. And then tonight I said to Kenny, I was like, I was thinking I would use the rest of that sugar syrup to make. I was thinking, I was like, I was thinking, about, no, what I said was, I thinking, I'm thinking about making a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And he said, is it using that syrup you made? <laughs> I mm. said, yeah. He said, I was actually going to make a cocktail with it last night before he had had one mm-hmm. he had had the coffee because he yeah. i told him i was going to make it for him special today mm-hmm. he said and then i thought no i can't impede upon liz's special coffee right but so this is not anything fancy it's like a pretty nice bourbon that we had which is mm-hmm. already sort of sweeter than like you know like a regular like a straight whiskey or like a uh, scotch or something mm-hmm. and that syrup and I also added a little bit extra cinnamon, and it's so good. It's yeah. so good. That sounds awesome. That sounds very uh, wintry. Uh, you know, it, it it I think would be more wintry if I added other warming spices. Uh-huh. But just just cinnamon and molasses, it's um I don't want to say it's refreshing, but it definitely feels like it's it this is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It feels like it was a warm spring day, but now it's cold again. Mm-hmm. Perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. So you have brought us down a road where because you were talking about the differences in the Starbucks and the Dunkin' Donuts availability, mm-hmm. I need to ask you, because we're at this moment in time, whether or not you have a Krispy Kreme in your area. We and if do. you and if you know why I'm asking. So yes, we do, and I can actually tell you it is across the. Sh- so it's it's a little bit far away from where I live, but it's mm-hmm. very close to where I work, mm-hmm. and it's across the street from the. So where I work is like, you know, on one side of a road, and mm-hmm. on the other side of the road is the hospital where I gave birth, mm-hmm. and then on the other side of that road, sort of, you know, still on the same side, mm-hmm. is a complex with a Krispy Kreme. And uh, they used to joke when I was pregnant, my friend Mario at work would joke that if I started going into labor, that he'd put me in a rolly chair and push me to the hospital, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was really funny because like we have cars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yes, it's because we get a donut a day once we get vaccinated. Yes. If you have a vaccine card. You can get a free donut every day for the rest of the calendar year. Have you gotten Krispy any? Kreme. No, I have not taken advantage of this, although I could. <laughs> of course, I am vaccinated. Um, but I have not seen anyone talking about this. I heard this and I thought, I bet there's a catch or at least something interesting in the fine print. Oh, like you have to buy a drink or... Yeah, right. With with purchase of something else, right? So I went looking for the fine print and I found (laughs) a page on Krispy Kreme's website devoted to frequently asked questions about this promotional offer. Oh, please. And do you know that I found that one of the questions is, and I quote, Uh what if I don't want to be vaccinated? Can I still get this offer? (laughs) And I, I tell you now, if you had a year 
to guess what the answer to that question is, you would never come up with it. Is the answer yes? It is much more specific than that. What is it? Here's what it is. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I quote. <gasps> we understand that choosing to receive the COVID va- COVID-19 vaccine is a highly personal decision. We advise all employees and guests to consult with their healthcare provider regarding whether to obtain a COVID-19 vaccination and which vaccine to receive after reviewing the available information. This this is all what they should say, right? Yes. And then, if you have made the personal decision to not receive the COVID vaccine, please visit us on Mondays, March 29th through May 24th, 2021, to receive a free original glazed donut and a medium brewed coffee. To get your week off to a good start. What? What is happening? (laughs) Is that not the most fascinating compromise you've ever heard? Where I read that and I was like, that is so specific and so bonkers. Will, you screenshotted this, right? I I will, yeah. Yeah. Because we need to put this in the show notes, one, but we need to put it in the show notes before they fucking change it. Right. No, absolutely. You're right. Uh, and I'm taking a screenshot of it right now. Oh, God. Um, but I did actually discover this days ago, and, and it's the same now as it was sure. then. And uh, you can, I mean, in my opinion, in my from my perspective, you can't read that without immediately conjuring in your imagination the chain of 5,000 emails <laughs> back and forth that led to that to one side saying, no, we can't give it away to the anti-vaxxers and the other one saying, we have to give them something. And the, and the other side going, okay. Or they'll sue us. <laughs> yeah, or the other one saying like, okay, they get one donut a, a month and the, and the other side saying like, no, they get coffees every day. And then the first side <laughs> saying like, okay, it's it's Mondays, but it's only for two months. And, <laughs> and until finally they were like, okay, it's a donut and a coffee that we're not giving to the vaccinated people, but it's only Mondays and it's only for two months, not the entire year. And then a lawyer in the corner mm-hmm. looked at the Zoom faces and, yeah and, and he, sternly nodded his head and said i'm not a cat i'm I, I can't take off the filter i promise i'm i'm a human being that was the funniest that brought me so much joy i was so happy oh my goodness so likewise i do not have any old business oh we, can i can yeah. i tell you one thing also related to the vaccine and hypothetically donuts yeah uh i believe i told you on the stream, but I'll say it here for our listeners of the pod, that I have recently discovered that I am obese now. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Which I guess, you know, content warning for anybody this might be triggering to, um, I won't talk, a, you know, skip ahead maybe two minutes, but I um, I weigh 202 pounds, so I have actually lost about five pounds. 
um, from when I first weighed myself, but I'm still obese. And that means that I pre-registered for the vaccine today. All right. Now, this could be weak still. <laughs> sure. But um, I said it to Kenny and he said, oh, that doesn't even sound real. And I said, well, in a lot of ways, it's not. <laughs> mm. But hey, it's a good first step in the right direction. Yeah. And, and the, the other good news here is there's going to be a mass vaccination site like 10 minutes away in Germantown. All right. Yeah. So I won't, hopefully won't have to go. Though I think I mentioned there's a Six Flags. Yes. There's a Six Flags that like would take, like people have gone to the Six Flags and been like, I waited in line for two and a half hours. Right. Yeah. So hopefully I won't have to go to Six Flags. I could just go to Germantown. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad the news is, is getting better. I hope it only continues to get better. Me too. So uh, part of the reason I don't have any old business is because we are not going to talk about WandaVision. Uh, no. The timing is sort of good to talk about that, but mm-hmm. the timing is better to talk about today's actual topic. And... Uh, they've already started Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and yep. that is only the tip of the iceberg, baby. <laughs> if I were doing old business, which I am not, I might tell you that in the past week, uh, they announced that they are going to release Black Widow, the movie, in July. Right. Yes. And they are going to do the Disney Plus premiere access thing, uh, like they did with Raya and Mulan, mm-hmm. in addition to releasing it in theaters. So... Uh, look forward to uh, probably much later in the year uh, an episode of mine where we talk about all things MCU in 2021, including WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Loki, assuming that's out by then. Oh, right. I'm excited for Loki. And potentially as many as three other movies, which <laughs> Wait, are... what are the three other? Is it Captain Marvel? No. uh, No, is she 2022? Probably. Uh, Eternals. Eternals. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. And the next Spider-Man movie are all supposed to be out before the end of the year. Okay. So we'll see in what form and when and whether that happens on schedule or not. But speaking of the movies, Liz, what am I talking about today? The Oscars. Da, 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 da. I'm, oh, I almost said the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you had that on the, the brain recently. I think we yeah. talked about that a little bit on a stream. But no, it's it's the Oscars. Um, a weird year. An interesting year. and, and I Really, I, a year plus. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. I, I, <laughs> I sincerely thought that, that maybe we were not going to talk about any of this in, in the way that we have in the past. Um, quick, uh, flashback, you know, I've done, uh, uh, two years, uh, for the podcast, Mm -hmm. done my, Mm -hmm. uh, predictions of who the nominees will be in eight categories before they are announced. And, uh, the year prior to that, I did it for the first time that was before the podcast. So three years, volition, right? Exactly. Yeah. For fun. Uh, and so three years, uh, prior to this, and you might remember, uh, the last time we wrapped up our previous Oscars conversation, I raised the question, uh, am I going to do this again next year? Right. 
Yeah, you um, did. Because you wanted to really get into video games. I said I was going to... It's like a weird thing to say, but that's what you I, That's what you said. <laughs> I did say that. I, I weirdly <laughs> enough said I think I might pivot away from movies more to focusing on video mm-hmm. games. I said this in uh, January 2020. <laughs> Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it was a Williams, uh, intuition, but li- little did I know how little I would get out to the movies, uh, in, in 2020. It's true. Um, but, uh, sure enough, I did it again anyway. Um, I just put less time and less thought into it. <laughs> um, whereas before I really kind of spent all year, you know, thinking about what the movies were and who's in those movies and what are my lists going to look like. This year, I saw movies as they came along and as I wanted to. And then two days before the nominations were going to be announced, I made my eight lists um, with a day in between to sort of you know, review and revise. Um, So real quick, important dates to know. Today when we're recording this, it's March 26th. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ceremony is April 25th. Right, The nominees were announced on the Ides of March. Mm -hmm. And the eligibility window for movies uh, to get these awards was extended by two months because so many things were delayed by the pandemic. Uh, They tacked on January and February 2021. If your movie came out in February 2021, you could still be eligible for this round of Oscars honoring the films of 2020. So um, before I get into my lists, I want to ask, it's been a long time since we've done this. I wonder... Who remembers? We call this getting a baseline. (laughs) And in this case, I will get a baseline by asking you, Liz, have you seen any movies in the past year and change that you that that come to mind? Any any favorites from 2020 or or the first couple of months of 2021? So I saw Raya. Technically not eligible, but recent. Yes. I saw Nomadland. Nomadland. We're going to talk a lot about Nomadland. Um, you saw another movie that I know you wanted to talk with me about. Oh, and I saw, um, I saw, I always want to call it Kiki and the Witch because <laughs> Kiki's Delivery Service is about a witch. Earwig and the Witch. Yeah. A Miyazaki movie, but not who you'd expect. <laughs> it, it is his son. Goro. Goro Miyazaki. I clearly I don't know anything about um, Japanese names, but Goro just sounds like the Goro just sounds so sweet to me as a name. Like I don't know what tone mm-hmm. people because you know how like you know people feel differently about like Henry versus like you know Esther or something like that. Sure, <laughs> but not, Goro, yeah, Goro, not not the first uh, feature film uh, to be directed by. Hayao Miyazaki's son, Goro Miyazaki, but it is the first 3D uh, computer animated Studio Ghibli film. Feature. Mm-hmm. Or film. Yeah, feature, or, you know. feature film. Mm-hmm. 
uh, what, uh, what, what do we think? Oh, it's weird, Will. <laughs> uh-huh. Is this why you wanted to talk about it? Because it's weird? It's so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Like, not even a little bit. So, like, okay, so here's the thing. There are some parts of that movie visually that are, like, transcendent. Yeah, stunning. Stunning. The, um, a workshop mm-hmm. um, that the witch has, um, that... Like some of the when it's dark in there and you can just see all of the different yeah bottles and stuff, it's like it it it's like both incredibly realistic and also unreal. Like Yeah. Um, yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. The 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 stunning spectacles of the movie are mainly in the environments. Yes. And the key environment of the film is that one room in the house. Plot-wise, I... What? What happens? <laughs> it is... It's so weird. <laughs> per, I I don't know if perhaps there's some kind of an East-West divide that... Well, that, okay. But, but you know, but I, I have not responded to other Ghibli movies in this way. And, so that can't totally explain it. Okay, so the other thing is that it's based on a novel by the same woman who wrote Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't read that novel. Kenny has, I got Kenny Howl's Moving Castle, the novel for Christmas, and he he actually said that he liked it more than the movie, which says a lot because that's his favorite Miyazaki movie. Wow. Um, so it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm cur- I am curious to know what the source material looked like, which yeah. is to say like, you know, clearly when Ghibli, the studio Ghibli looks at these texts that are, like, written by, like, white people, you know, like, yeah. European descendant white people. Right. You know, they make them their own. Like, I'm thinking specifically of, like, the borrower, like, the secret world of Ariete, which is based on the borrowers. Mm-hmm. Um, But, like, narratively, I feel like there shouldn't be a gap because narratively it's based on something that's within our personal canon in mm-hmm. terms of the way that stories are structured right do you mind if i go through like why it's so weird yeah sure i, I think I, I can do this briefly i would just sum up my feelings about the story quickly by saying the movie ends right when the story should be getting started yes so- or like at least the second act or something right yeah, so it starts out, there's sort of like a prologue section mm-hmm. that feels totally normal where there's a woman um, being chased by a bunch of people and she has a baby and she drops the baby off at the orphanage. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, that baby, um, whose name is Earwig, um, but they call her, what do they call her? Something sort of similar. Yeah. Do they call her like Ellie or Emma or something? It's something like that. It starts with like an E. Yeah. She's dropped off at the orphanage. She's very clearly like in charge of everybody. Like she's charmed everybody to the point that they'll do whatever she wants, including the other children. There's like a scene where one of the kids is being adopted and they throw a party in a graveyard, which is very charming. All of this seems like totally normal. Good. You then, and by normal, I mean, like, you understand why the film is progressing the way that it is. Yeah. And, like, why we're spending this much time. Right. 
So then it, there's a couple that's coming to adopt a child. All of the kids line up. Earwig um, makes a terrible face because she doesn't want to be adopted. Right. <laughs> and they pick her. Um, they then walk back to their house and she's essentially locked in this magic house and can't get out. And then they spend literally the rest of the movie in this house. Right. Which is unlike any other Miyazaki movie I've ever seen. Right. The other way that I would frame it is that it is bizarrely like the inverse of Kiki's delivery service. Yes. <laughs> in that it is totally housebound when Kiki, you know, leaves home at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. to move to the big city. And then like the city, the entire city is like the movie's playground. Yes. Um, and she, Kiki is of course a witch to begin with, and she's going out on her own to learn to be a self-sufficient witch. Whereas Earwig, you know, is a human mortal, you know, fighting in her own way for the entire movie to start to become a witch. Right. So the other thing about this is that there's two sort of plots that I want to mention. The first is that, so the woman who's her mother, um, we find out throughout the movie that she was in a band with um, the witch and with, oh, what's, I know you love him. What's his name? Okay. The scary man. This is, this is, in my opinion, everything else you can say about the movie is irrelevant compared to the simple <laughs> fact that the Mandrake, who the you're Mandrake. referring to, rules. He rules. He does just rule. from a purely visual character design perspective. Mm-hmm. This character is my jam completely. <laughs> well, also because you could dress up as him for Halloween. <laughs> I I I don't know if I should put this on the record, but at the moment <laughs> that you first see the Mandrake, yeah, I said to Dana, "Look, it's Andrew." <laughs> It, because it because it is our friend Andrew. Um, yeah. Kind of. But Andrew's not ma- angry. No, no. Yeah. He just he just uh, has certain uh, physical features that are similar. Yes. Um. So this this plot line, which is basically that like her mother's this witch and was in this band with the with the witch and with the Mandrake, mm-hmm. is like never actually revealed exclusive like two like it's it's sort of i think i guess it's dramatic irony that we the audience understand something that yeah no other character except maybe her mother but she doesn't show up until the end knows or understands mm-hmm. okay so that's a whole weird thing that you keep waiting the whole time for them to figure out mm-hmm. and they never figure it out <laughs> i had the assumption that the mandrake and the home witch knew Really? I did not get that at all. I had the assumption that they knew that Earwig was their former friend's uh, daughter. And okay. that's that's how they like knew Picked to her. adopt her. Yeah. Um, because they could like sense it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but Earwig never completely knew. But she was like figuring it out in the sense that like she knew that she had like a connection to this music that she likes yeah um so but i will but, say there is yeah, at it's least open one part for, where yeah. she's listening to a cassette yeah and 
either the mandrake or the witch, I think it's the witch, says, like, where did you get this? Mm-hmm. Like, as if to say, like, this is my band. How do you even know about this? Which right. indicates to me that they didn't. But anyway. That's I can see how you had made that connection. Yeah, I guess I just you. I think saw well, room for my interpretation. Yeah, you were giving in, them credit and maybe, same, I, maybe I should have. Yeah. The other, like, subplot here, the other thing I want to mention about the plot points is that, like, the witch and the mandrake, which the witch has a name, it's like a Baba Yaga-based yes, name that I can't right. remember, mm-hmm. um, are, like, very scary and very mean in a way that, like, I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Because so often, Miyazaki characters or, or, or Ghibli characters are sort of... Not morally ambiguous, but they they aren't ever just bad or good. Right. So, like, I'm thinking about that witch in Howl's Moving Castle, mm-hmm. who, once her powers are stripped from her, is just, like, a lovely little yeah. weird old woman that needs to be cared for, and they do care for her. Mm-hmm. Um, or even, like, No Face in Spirited Away is just, like, basically gets, you know gets in over his head and once they help him out he's just like this very quiet character and one of the one of the movies that has the most of these characters is um princess mononoke Mm -hmm. where like a lot of the characters are both doing good things and doing things that are clearly hurting other people yep and so to have these characters that like actually seemed like one kind of abusive yeah but two like not redeemable yeah was like and then on top of the fact that so you have those characters which like i don't even know what i'm looking at they're honestly stressing me out the mandrake again i really like character design wise and Mm -hmm. everything but he's also horrifying Mm, he's cool and (laughs) sure um but then the movie ends so the way that the movie ends spoilers is that her mom shows up on the front oh so sorry the way that the movie ends which we have to do first, is she's like, I'm going to get them to listen to me. It, like, cuts ahead a couple of months, and she's got them wrapped around her finger, doing whatever she wants. Her room is, like, bigger and more amazing and, like, plush. Yeah, yeah. We see the beginnings of that, and then it does a time jump forward. And then her mom shows up on the doorstep, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, and then the credits start, and there's some nice imagery there's some over beautiful the credits. Imagery. That the end. mom doesn't show up again in the imagery, which mm-hmm. I also was expecting. That doesn't even happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I and then also on top of all of this, I feel like the with the exception of the mandrake, the character design for the actual witch and earwig is very weird and like weird to look at. I sort of like the character design of Earwig herself, but not enough that I'm going to like die on that hill. Yeah. Um, I was really curious about the way that the movie looked because it is this seismic shift in a different direction for Studio Ghibli that is so, which their movies are so beloved. Uh, And because... Uh, there's so much you know western stuff to compare it to Um, and I knew that the reaction to the movie and before that to the trailer was mostly skeptical and I so I went into it really trying to analyze like is it like does it look good do I like the way that it looks and I had the same reaction that you had to the environments but also Mm -hmm. The 
the characters are sort of hit and miss. And there are times when they're sort of unremarkable and there are times when they are sort of video game cut scene like early Pixar. Yeah. Never like as bad as like Polar Express, but like... And the cat, the cat di- is good, di- I will sure, say. Sure, the cat's good, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in my curiosity, I, I was, you know, I was thinking, okay, what, the, what's really hard to put my finger on is how much of the way that it looks, especially the way the characters look, mm-hmm. how much of it is a style choice that they made and yeah. how much of it is limitations of like they did a, a, a subpar job of what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, well, maybe in the East – you know, you know, maybe we've got a big head start on them, on on how these three D animated movies look, yeah. and they are kind of you know playing catch up, mm-hmm. in 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 the way that I think the inverse is true that they can run laps around us in two D mm-hmm. hand drawn animation. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so last just last night, I watched another movie that came out in the past year. Which is called Lupin the Third, the First. Have you heard of this movie? No, I haven't. Are you familiar with Lupin the Third? No. Are you familiar with Hayao Miyazaki's very first movie called The Castle of Cagliostro? Yes, which I have watched. Okay, then you know Lupin. Oh, that guy. Castle that of guy. Ca- Castle of Cagliostro is a is a is a Lupin the Third story, and there's a new movie which is 3D animated yeah which is which is called lupin the third the first uh-huh um and it rips it's so oh. good i love it so freaking much it's so so fun i cannot recommend it enough nice and it looks amazing like <laughs> And I can even see the style. I'm looking at like screenshots right now. I can even see the style similarly to what they did in, um, in Earwig and the Witch, but it doesn't look as fucking weird. It is such a great execution of like three D ifying what we recognize as anime, Uh and it it like it's it's really far superior to earwig nice. in on the on the visual is that on what is animation that on, is that on level? HBO Max? We rented it on Amazon. Okay, I mean we'll probably do that too then. Yeah, yeah I uh I How scary is it? Um you mean can Elliot watch it? Yeah. There's w- at least one scene that Elliot should not watch. Oh, um, there's no blood or gore, uh-huh. but someone does not a main character, but a person yeah. dies in a kind of horrific way, but with, okay. but without blood. Yeah, we'll we'll skip that. Yeah, um, for him, and then we can also watch in one sitting. Did, do are you familiar? This is a side note. Are you familiar with Junji Ito? Yeah, oh, uh, am I familiar? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Okay, I'm, I'm so- holding up a copy of uh junji ito's uzumaki 
Okay, so you're familiar with, and I should know the name of this, the spirally eye lady? Yep. So this is sort of Junji Ito's sort of like flagship keystone image. From it's from the book I just hold up. Yes. And Kenny loves this. I think he wants to get a tattoo of it eventually. Cool. He's, you know, thrown that that around. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, Kenny, or two days ago, Kenny was looking at cosplays of this, which is something he just does, like, kind of regularly. Sure. Like, he just, like, regularly does some things, like, looking up cosplays of that image, mm-hmm. like, Googling Silent Hill. Yeah. Like, every day he just, like, or, like, once or twice a week he does this. Just see what's new. Yeah. So he was looking at it, and it was one where the person had their eye like glued shut like with um what is that called like the the like the glue the glue that you would use for prosthetics yeah and um spirit gum my spirit gum thank you i was pointing at my nose Mm -hmm. um and then she had a fake eyeball on top and then had done the painting on Mm -hmm. and elliot said i want to see and kenny was like okay it's gonna be scary but showed him for some reason and i will then also be very fair to myself in this situation in a second because i can i'm sure kenny can hear me and is like well you did this too okay so he shows him this picture and elliot is visibly startled so i'm going to show you what he did and you can describe it to the audience he went <laughs> yeah it, the recoiling it, yeah. It, recoiling re- <laughs> sort of in repeated stages and like had his hands in front of him as if to protect himself. Yes. And this has meant that he has now been asking a lot of questions about this. Good. Like, okay, so here's the thing where I have to be fair to myself. He asked about it again the next day, and I said, I'll show you a drawing, but remember, it's just a drawing. And then Kenny's like, you really sent him into a tailspin. I'm like, I'm sorry, who showed this to him initially? He's like, yeah, but we saw he was scared, and then we don't have to show him again if he asks. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is, you know, this is like our biggest parenting fight. Um, He's been asking questions like, why she only have half a face? Junji Ito only have, or except Drino Drino only have half a face? (laughs) Why, why Drino Drino like drawing scary things? And then today he apparently asked Kenny, he was like, that man who make the scary face. Kenny was like, Junji Ito. He was like, yeah, Drino Drino. Hmm. he alive mm-hmm. and kenny was like yeah he's alive he's out and he's, there and and ellie goes he's alive in this world <laughs> not fictional yeah <laughs> well and also i think elliot i i sort of took it to mean like that he's from some other world mm-hmm. like that the thing he that he saw something in another world and he's mm-hmm. from another world kenny was like i think he was maybe asking if he was in heaven <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> or yeah. like some afterlife <laughs> right right yeah but anyway so because of this i mean we probably show stuff like he shouldn't see he normally isn't scared of it and we talked to him about it so i'm not worried about it but yeah i will we have been trying like sometimes i'll be like i i will hyper you know how hyperbolic you hi, how often people hyperbolically talk about dying or killing mm-hmm. like oh man i killed it elliot and i'll say mama don't say that that's not a good word mm-hmm it's that's okay there's a good some good values behind that yeah um i should uh talk to kenny sometime about uh the drifting classroom which is the manga that is sitting right next to uzumaki on the shelf and drifting classroom by sorry if i'm saying it wrong kazuo umez is in three volumes that look uh great on on a bookshelf they're just really 
nicely designed. He would love that. And you know, he's been, I think I've told you, he's been checking out just like manga after manga after manga. and From the library. From the library. So yeah. like, I'm sure he would love to hear about more recommendations. Yeah, I, I really only have two and he, he clearly doesn't need one of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dana actually read The Drifting Classroom also. Um she she wow was she inspired to write any stories about classrooms that float into the sky that's why we have it in the first place was was because dana saw it on you know at the comic book store and Uh and was like i guess i'll buy this (laughs) because of what it's called (laughs) and then lo and behold it's it's a great read and now we have three volumes amazing so should we get into some oscar nominations Yes, please. Thank you for letting me talk about that movie because yeah, I was so weirded out by it. Yeah, I wanted. To I talk don't, about and it's it. one, of, and it's one of these movies too where I was also like, "This is weird now, and it will not stand the test of time." Yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be one of those like, do you remember like sort of like oddity? <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, it will be interesting to see how much or how little of an oddity it is in terms of. You know, where where do they go from here as a studio uh, yeah. in terms of 2D, 3D? What are they going to do more of? Um, oh, and mm. one more thing I wanted to say, because yeah. I was thinking about this based on something you said the mm. last time we talked about this. Okay. Or we talked about movies. Is that when you were talking about the – when we were talking about Raya at one point, mm-hmm. you had brought up that I think on um, Blank Check, they had said that the sort of early 3D movies that Pixar and Disney put out were essentially the 3D versions of the 2D animation style. More specifically, I think what I said was Griffin's point on blank check is that the recent wave of 3D Disney, not Pixar movies are the full uh, successful realization of what would the Disney style look like in 3D? Yes. Rai is the most recent example, but, you know, Tangled, Frozen, uh, Moana yes. are all in that uh, cycle. So when I was going into Earwig, I was in my mind like, well, I don't need this to just be a 3D version of a 2D Studio Ghibli movie. Right. It can be something else. Mm-hmm. The thing that surprised me about it most, besides the fact that some of the animation truly was very weird, was that it wasn't even... I was still expecting the plot to be a Ghibli movie. Right. And I haven't just seen the Miyazaki ones. You know, like one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies is The Cat Returns. Mm-hmm. Which is... Have you seen The Cat Returns? No. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I won't explain it because when you watch it cold, it's just like, but like, that's very different than like Nausicaa, Mononoke, etc. Yeah. And so then when the plot also was different, right. I was like, why couldn't you, like, that's what should have carried over. And right. then the animation can be up for discussion. Yeah. One of the uh, gaps that we're going to fill one of these days is watching those non-Miyazaki Ghibli movies that we haven't seen. We've seen a few of them. Like, for example, we've seen Grave of the Fireflies and we've seen... We, we need to watch that because we started watching that with Elliot. And Elliot said, I think this is too scary for me. We've seen the one that I think is called Only Yesterday. 
We haven't seen that one. Um, but I haven't seen Cat Returns or Pompoko or Secret World of Ariete or... Wait, Secret World of Ariete isn't Miyazaki? No. It's just Ghibli? Oh, shit. It's good, dude. It's really good. And I'm going to watch it. It reads It reads like a Ghibli. Or it reads like a Miyazaki. Uh, and, and at some point, I'll watch it. Um, we haven't seen... Uh, Tales of Earthsea, which I think was the first. That's one we haven't seen. Goro movie. Have you seen the one where, like, a baby spirit alien shows up on Earth to these two parents? It's like very different animation style. I forget what that one's called. No, I don't think so. That one we we've seen, and I I like that one, but that one's definitely like a weirder. Yeah, but I was having a, a similar but sort of different thought, which which was. Uh, you mentioned earlier with the borrowers and Howl's Moving Castle, et cetera, like they have this tradition of adapting Western works of literature. Mm-hmm. And this earwig is in that tradition. However, despite that tradition existing, I thought it was a weird choice to like, <laughs> you're branching out into 3D animation for the first time in a feature film to make a story that is like all about white, characters like your yeah. like european characters i forget is it supposed to be in england i think yeah it's supposed to be in england that uh, makes sense and uh yeah to 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 not make it uh you know a japanese story about japanese characters i thought was um part part of the miss mm-hmm. uh of their decision making but i don't know maybe they had maybe the Maybe somebody, maybe Goro or somebody just really loved this book or maybe they wanted to replicate some of the success of Howl's Moving Castle or maybe they wanted to have, maybe they made a decision that they wanted to make something with like an international, like a global appeal. Yeah. Not, um, But anyway. So two, two notes. The movie I was thinking of is The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Okay. And um, Ariadne was not directed by Miyazaki, but he did co-write the screenplay. Gotcha. Yeah. Which is probably part of why it felt yeah. Miyazaki to me. Yep. That makes sense. So let's talk about the Oscars. Tell me what's going on. It's fucking weird. Yeah. So to uh remind you the eight categories in which I bother to make predictions are of course best picture, director, two screenplay categories, and four performance categories Mm -hmm. and i thought i would start as they do when they're announcing these things with the uh, supporting and then we'll go to the screenplays and then the lead performers and then director and best picture so um in supporting actress i uh wrote down for my predictions first amanda seyfried uh for Mm. her role in mank and then Olivia Coleman for her role in The Father. And then Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. And then, uh, by the way, as I've said before, when we do these episodes, I'm going to say a ton of names and I'm not going to pronounce mm-hmm. them all correctly. Yes. So I'm not going to stop to apologize every time. Helena's... Blanket apologies. Blanket apology for all the mispronounced names. Helena Zengel uh, for News of the World. So... I'm not going to say the fifth one yet. What what I'm doing so far is I am replicating what the Golden Globes did. Yeah. 
I have not seen The Father. I had not even heard of it until I started making nomination predictions. I haven't heard of any of those movies. I had heard of News of the World, which is a movie with Tom Hanks, but I haven't seen it. I have not seen Hillbilly Elegy, but I think everyone's heard of that. And I did see Mank. Um, So I'm looking at the Golden Globes uh, and saying, okay, yeah, the supporting actress category, this all seems right. Yeah. Except the fifth that I did not write down was Jodie Foster in a movie called The Mauritanian, which I had not heard of. And so I looked up the trailer for The Mauritanian. Can I say that looks, that sounds incredibly boring. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I looked up the trailer for the Mauritanian and I was like, nope, no way am I watching that movie. There's a reason I've never heard of this. And even though Jodie Foster won in this category in the Golden Globes, I think this is a classic Globes fluke. Mm-hmm. And I am going to exclude Jodie Foster and I am going to have an original thought about who I should put in Ooh. my predictions. And who did you put in? So I put Ye Jung Yeon, who plays the grandmother in Minari. Ah. So, of those five, four were correct. So you might think that last one was probably the incorrect one, right? And maybe Jodie yeah. Foster is in there. Ah, ah, ah. You got that right? Yes. Believe <gasps> it or not, they actually acknowledged this great uh, Korean actress who is great in Minari. Yeah. When I say believe it or not, just to put you, it, just to put that in context, mm-hmm. recall that recently Parasite won Best Picture, Best Director, Screenplay, International Feature. Not a single performer was even nominated right. from, yeah. from Parasite. It was almost like they were like, I don't know who any of those fucking people are, but I saw that movie and it was real good. Uh-huh. And but they're not speaking English. So how do I how do I an academy voter know how good their acting was? I don't even speak their language. It's not like I can see their face or their body or hear the tone of their voice. But I looked at the first four that I had cribbed from the Golden Globes and I was like, "Oh shit, these are all white women." Um, and Minari was great, and this woman yeah. was great in it. So I included her, and so did the Academy. However, they did not include Helena Zengel, who is mm-hmm. a young woman, uh, child, I think, oh. technically, um, <laughs> who was in uh, News of the World with Tom Hanks. Pro- a, a promising young child. A promise- well, we'll get there. Hey, we'll get there. Don't get that ahead of me. That was a good me. joke. It's very good. Um I mean, young child is redundant, but that's part of the comedy. Um, <laughs> do you know who they nominated instead? No. They nominated Maria Bakalova, who plays Borat's daughter in Borat 2. No. Yes. In a in Borat 2? And I knew that this was a possibility because in addition yeah. to looking at the Globes, when I was really stumped, like, I'm not sure what else to s- slot in here. I looked up the Critics' Choice Awards, and she won the Critics' Choice Award Nice in that category. I think it's it's good that that the Academy decided to nominate this person for this role. 
Yeah. Uh, I later watched the movie. I had not seen Borat 2 prior to doing the predictions, but now I have. Um, and she's extremely funny. Um, but also, there, one of the things that's funny and interesting about the Borat sequel is that they like wrote a story into it and there is some like pathos sort of in that story. Um, so uh, it, it is a little bit more than just a, 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 an offbeat comedy role. Nice. So who's going to win? Uh, I think this is a really interesting category. There's a rematch. Do you know who it is? Do you remember this? Do you remember a couple of years ago when Glenn Close was in a movie called The Wife. Right, yeah. And Gl- the wife who's the it was a movie about a writer and his wife, right? Yeah, and I guess the wife was like the real writer. I never yeah, I my, never saw. My it. coworker Ray, who I adore, was like, "Liz, you should watch this movie." But it was one of those things where he was like, "I know you're a writer." Mm-hmm. And there's this movie. Yes. About writers. Yes. <laughs> Something, and I was like, okay, Ray, thank you for the recommendation. Something we're very used to hearing, yes. Yeah. As much as I have heard, like, do you play basketball? Um, so <laughs> No, people don't say that to you. Well, they used to. I mean, certainly yeah. not now. Oh, bless. But when I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Close uh, was nominated for lead actress a couple of years ago for The Wife as the boys of blank check are fond of saying what if there was a wife that's the the premise of the wife i think it's so funny when they use that what if there was a wife uh credit to to griffin and david who are so funny um and she was the the favorite to win because she's glenn close yeah and she has never won an oscar before so they were like this year we're they're finally going to give it to her right she was the favorite however uh-huh. You didn't count on a movie called The Favorite. Right. Because yeah. the winner turned out to be Olivia Coleman, who was the lead right. in The Favorite. And in this category, it's not lead this time, it's supporting. Glenn Close is uh, in Hillbilly Elegy is up against Olivia Coleman in The Father. What if there was a father, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, so uh, I think. Perhaps the funniest, perhaps the most interesting, perhaps the the st- stupidest thing that could happen, even mm-hmm. even more bizarre than than the young Borat woman winning, um, would be Glenn Close winning, because I haven't seen Hillbilly Elegy, but f- critics hate it. I, really, I have here a ballot, a printable ballot of all the Oscar nominees. Provided by Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. who because they are Rotten Tomatoes, beside all of the film names, they have put the scores, yeah, the critics and audience scores for those films. And it says here that as of March 16th, the day after the nominees were announced, Hillbilly Elegy had a critic rating of 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeesh. Yes. So wouldn't it be kind of funny if Glenn Close won for yeah. being in such a hated movie? Um, and I think that that is kind of a common story in Oscars history that yeah. that a veteran 
finally gets an Oscar, but there's sort of an asterisk on it that where it's makes, like this isn't even the thing that's most exciting. It's it's tri- it's fun trivia for years to come. It's like, did you know that Glenn Close, her <laughs> only Oscar is for Hillbilly Elegy, right? Yeah. And so because I think that trivia sounds familiar to me. Like it's part of a pattern that my, my prediction is that Glenn Close will win. Um, A side note about the 26%. There's so like when you have a test that's multiple choice, um, 25% is considered what a randomizer would get. Right. Because it's the idea that like if you just pick random items and there's four choices, like four, yeah. 25% is what people are going to get. You have a one in four shot. Yeah. And so this isn't one to one to so which also then if you then are looking at this statistically if if a if an answer if a um if a correct answer choice is getting less than 25%, that is a problem because not even random like even a computer randomly would get it more correct mm-hmm. than the way it's being gotten now according to psychometricians but this is not one-to-one but when i hear that number 26 percent in my it's not one-to-one at all but when i hear that number i think god even a computer would get that right (laughs) you know like even a computer would do just about that well yes like an (laughs) algorithm that you fed movie scripts yeah would make a movie (laughs) that would get a better rotten tomato score than hillbilly elegy did yeah yeah uh supporting actor yeah. Uh, my five predictions were the late Chadwick Boseman for The Five right. Bloods, mm-hmm. Daniel Kaluuya for mm-hmm. Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, right? Yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen for the Trial of the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, a film in which everyone is supporting because it's a big ensemble cast and mm-hmm. no one is the lead. And Alan Kim, who is the child from uh, yes. Minari, who has the adorable little child who has gone viral a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> once for crying, accepting an award. And before that, for getting a voicemail from Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, and the reason he got the voicemail from Sonic the Hedgehog was because he in an interview somebody he like is not good at interviewing because he's a child Mm -hmm. so they said what is your favorite actor and he said sonic the hedgehog Mm -hmm. (laughs) another movie that i just watched in the past week yes which you said was fun yes it is fun i cannot recommend it uh like i have the other movie that i watched uh in the past few days uh but it's it's a Mostly harmless, uh, fun little romp. Yeah, I think this is what we need sometimes. I you know? think Ben Schwartz is funny. I think Jim Carrey is pretty funny in the movie. I've been deeply endeared to Ben Schwartz over the past pandemic. Yes. Like, not that I wasn't endeared to him before, but I, like, feel so, such warmth for him yep. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, hold on to that Especially while we can. Especially with a beard. God. Mm-hmm, sure. So, uh, how many of those were correct? Only three. Oh, three is actually still pretty good, though, Will. Three is good, and uh, spoiler alert, it is the worst uh, that I did um, in any of these categories. Hopefully that's fortuitous for your actual Oscars. Wouldn't it be fucking hilarious 
if you just fucking nailed your Oscars well, predictions this year. It's already slightly hilarious that again, spoiler, I did pretty well doing what I'm describing now having put in the least effort that I have so far. Like right, I yeah. put way more effort into the predictions that I made the year that only 50% of my predictions were correct. That was the worst yeah. I've done so far. This is better. And this is with less thought, less effort mm-hmm. um, and more just like seeing, you know, aggregate information. Aggr- yes. Thank you. That's exactly right. So uh, unfortunately uh, I was wrong about Alan Kim Aww. not nominated. And unfortunately, um, but also it's kind of okay. Cause you know, we'll get to it later. I was wrong about Chadwick Boseman. Oh, um, who uh, plays a role in the five bloods mm. that is like perfect quintessential, like uh, uh, serving the movie while stealing the spotlight in a very specific supporting role where like they are not in the whole movie. They are parsed out, you know, throughout specific scenes in the movie. Um, And I honestly thought they will nominate him in both. Um, Yeah. And so I put him down for both and they only did one and it's not this one. So instead uh, they nominated, I, I did see this movie, but I did not see this coming. They nominated Paul Racy for uh, Sound of Music. Uh, no, sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. Not The Sound of Music. That's a very different film. I was like, what? Sorry. <laughs> I, knew I, was, I knew I was saying it wrong before I said it, but I still couldn't get it right. The movie's, I was like, the movie's, when did they make a remake of that? No, no. The movie's called Sound of Metal. Oh. Sound of Metal is, is a movie about a... Um, uh, heavy metal drummer going deaf. Oh no! And Paul Racy plays a uh, deaf guy who becomes sort of a mentor to him. Mm-hmm. He's great in the movie. I just, um, well, we'll talk more about sound of, sound of metal as we go. But I was. Can I tell you something about the sound of music? I really was ignoring quick? it. Yeah. What about sound of music? I always call that movie. I think I'm over it now. But for many years, I would be like to Kenny, I'd be like, oh, what's that movie? The The Hills Are Alive movie. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, just keep going. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, what? Right. And he'd be like, the hills are alive. No. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Title of movie. And he was like, that's the title of the movie. Yeah. Um, the way you remembered it, you could get it confused with The Hills Have Eyes. Very different. Yes. Movie. Yes. Probably, and also probably a The Weeknd song. <laughs> if, if you say so. Um, and hypothetically, I could also just be confused and think that both of those things are called Hills Like White Elephants. <laughs> I, I, almost, I thought you were going to say The Hills, which was a show on what, MTV or something? Yeah, that was like the, a do, fake reality. Do you remember The Hills? Yeah, Lauren. Something she sells leggings now. More importantly, uh, also nominated in this category, which I could not have predicted because this does not make sense. Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Who? Why does that not make sense? Because and I, because he is the lead. I thought you were going to be like because he's not in that movie. That that would be the the step up. He's the lead? Did they, did they, but they, they're the ones that submit what they want people to be 
in, Exactly. Right? And we've talked about this before. So, you know, you might remember, you know, when I am not sure where to place someone, yeah, I Google it. And the way that I Google it is I look up the name of the movie and FYC so that I can right. find the for your consideration campaign for the movie where they lay out by category all the names of the people that you could nominate. And on the page for Judas and the Black Messiah, it says, Best Actor, Lakeith Stanfield. Best Supporting Actor, Daniel Kaluuya, Jesse Plemons. Wow. But somehow, the, the Academy decided that both Daniel Kaluuya, who's also nominated, and Lakeith Stanfield are supporting. Contrast this with, like I was just saying about Sasha Baron Cohen moments ago, when I looked up the trial of the Chicago 7 to make sure that he wasn't the lead to see, I hadn't seen the movie at that point. I, yeah. was, I was like, I don't know this movie, who's the lead in it. I looked up the FYC page. There, was, there were no leads. It jumped yeah. straight to supporting. And then there was a long list. First, And I know, I know, because I know the first time this came up when we were talking about it was when Viola Davis got nommed for supporting actress for Fences. Yeah. And a lot of people were basically saying she was co-lead right. with um, Den- the, Denzel. Whoever, yeah, Denzel Washington. And I wonder if there's like a weird um like trying i mean clearly they're trying to trick the system but i wonder if they're specifically like well because we know these this award system is racist Mm -hmm. if we put somebody who clearly did this phenomenal job in a big role Mm -hmm. into this supporting actor or actress category their act their role will seem so big right Compared to the other supporting actors or actresses, and they'll have a better chance of winning because Viola Davis did win that that supporting actress, and I think it was totally deserved. Right, but. you're you're absolutely right to be thinking this way. I, I think that if I watched Judas and the Black Messiah, I think that if you watch that movie, you could definitely come away thinking that Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are the co-leads. They are both in the yeah. lead category, and I thought, okay, a calculation was made to separate them so they they wouldn't compete with each other. And I thought that the clever calculation was that Lakeith is lead and Daniel is supporting. But then apparently some kind of additional calculation was made that maybe to maximize their chances or maximize recognition um, for the movie or like you were saying for African-American performers or that, that they were both supporting. And maybe that calculation is based on again spoiler whoever is in that lead category is going to lose to chadwick boseman right Uh, right okay yeah so um who's gonna win in supporting um i think that it is kind of a toss-up in my mind between uh daniel kaluuya and sasha baron cohen um, I might change my mind later, but right now I'm going to go with Daniel Kaluuya for nice. Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Um, li- literally, the title refers to their two characters, like they like <laughs> Judas and, and the Black, the Black Messi- Messiah. Yeah, that one is Lakeith Stanfield, the other is Daniel Kaluuya. 
Um, it would be like if the wolf was the supporting character in my book. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, or if both Ashley Sugarnotch and the wolf <laughs> were nominated for like best supporting character in a, in a yeah. poetry collection. Did I tell you that I have had one review of my book? Mm. Have I told you this? Mm-hmm. And it was a fine review. And it was very kind that this man wrote this review. Um, but at one, he does say that there are way more. He says something like that there are way more Ashley poems than Wolf poems. Oh, okay. And I was like, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> like I specifically went out of my way to make it pretty equal. Uh-huh. And I and I counted them. And yeah, it's like a two poem difference. But the Wolf has a couple of poems that are longer. Uh huh. So they take up more space. Like by word count, maybe it is closer to 50 Yeah, like 50. the wolf the wolf has a sestina that's just enormous. Mm-hmm. So like um but I just remember thinking, like, what a weird claim to make when you can very easily count. Yeah, you could just <laughs> you confirm or deny it. Count. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is strange. Um And I got one review on my book of poetry. It has been one year. Well in two weeks. It's never it's never too late. <laughs> uh moving on to screenplays. They started with Adapted when they were doing the announcements, and oh. thank goodness they did, because I was able to recognize not that you had made a mistake that I had yes that I had made a mistake, <laughs> and if they had done original first, I yeah. would have thought, oh my gosh, they overlooked Nomadland completely, but when in fact the problem oh, was that adaptation. it was not being overlooked, that it was adapted, and so it showed up in Adapted, and I went what. And I had, and <laughs> so here's the thing. You've seen the movie. Yeah. So you know, or you will not be surprised to hear that a lot of people in the movie are non-actors. Basically. They're in the book. Um, is it a nonfiction book or? Yeah. Okay. I, I had no idea. I just assumed th- so that it was actually, a novel. There's another, there's another layer in here. Okay. But, um. Mo- almost all of the characters except for Francis McDormand um, Francis McDormand who's perfect um actually their character's name is their name yeah and and you can see that just by looking at the credits and also yes. i assumed it because i'd seen Chloe Zhao's movie the writer and mm-hmm. i knew that that movie was like all you know non-actors who were cast because they yeah. are the people they were playing or versions of that, and uh, it's like a fictionalized version of some real things. So I think this what it, I think this is what it is. I think that it was a book, like a nonfiction book. I think there was a documentary, okay. and then they made this movie. Um, we I knew it would have done this right after we watched this, but some of the characters are in the book. So yeah. like I think Swanky and mm-hmm. the sort of um, leader character, yeah, are both real people. Right. And Kenny was like furiously Googling if that mm-hmm. swanky woman actually died. <laughs> right, right. Did he ever and find out? She did not actually die. Great. So that was, you know, altered for the for the movie. Right. Um but um yeah, it's like I'm I it's very it's one of the weirdest adaptations that I in the, in terms of the way it came to be that I think I've ever encountered. <laughs> It's fascinating. I think Chloe Zhao's work is fascinating. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to seeing her next movie, 
Marvel's Eternals, <laughs> which I assume will be equally fascinating and uh, raw and authentic. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I just, I didn't look into that. I, I saw in the credits when it said it was based on a book, mm-hmm. but I didn't look into it. And I assumed that the book was a novel about Francis McDormand's character. And then Chloe Zhao just like gave it her treatment, like does what mm-hmm. she does by casting non-actors. Um, but because of the non-actor thing, I got it into my head that it must be original and I, I forgot about the book. Mm-hmm. So I misplaced it in original. Then they announced it and adapted. And I was like, oops, I made a mistake. Uh, obviously, I knew that Nomadland was going to be a, a nominated in one of these categories anyway. So even though I misplaced it, I was still correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just moved it over um, and uh, removed uh one of my predictions from uh adapted and then plugged in a new one in original that I would have had there if I hadn't nice. made made the error good job so once so bef- so so my 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 predictions in adapted mm-hmm. were Ma Rainey's Black Bottom One Night in Miami First Cow one of the best movies of the year yeah The Father and now, after I saw the error, it's Nomadland. But but before, when I had made the error, I I didn't know what to slot here. And so I thought, I'm going to go with a chaos pick. Yeah. And I put Hillbilly Elegy because right, I yeah. had heard the movie was terrible, but I knew it was based on a book sort of yeah. famously. Yeah. But now it's Nomadland. So um, three out of the those five are correct. Nomadland, The Father, and One Night in Miami are all correct. Um regrettably first cow is totally left out um and ma rainey's black bottom was also incorrect correct were a movie that i still know nothing about today (laughs) uh which is called the white tiger which i guess which i the only thing i know about it is it's on netflix so maybe maybe i'll watch it oh um and the other nominee in adapted screenplay and did you know is it Little Women? <laughs> yeah, they were like, we made such a terrible mistake <laughs> that it gets another chance. Yeah. No, did you know that if a movie is a sequel, then it is necessarily an adapted screenplay? Fuck. No, I did not know that. <laughs> well, now you know that. And that is why the Borat sequel is in this category. <laughs> a movie that is... In a way, similarly insane to Nomadland to mm-hmm. nominate for its screenplay. Yeah. Because, because it it's... has a bunch of real people being themselves. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, but hey. Uh, Inc- why... Including everybody's favorite post 9-11 man, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Indeed. America's mayor for life. Um, and uh, yeah, so I made the wrong chaos pick when I picked uh, Hillbilly Elegy. My chaos pick should have been Borat. Um, what's going to win in this category? Uh, I have made the decision that it's that, Borat. <laughs> that hey, if it happens, I think this would be the year that it happens. I I I say uh, you know I'm I'm jokerified by the pandemic. I say bring on the chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not what I'm predicting. I've made the decision that wherever I see Nomadland nominated, I'm going to pick that 
to yeah. win. Um, uh, you might remember my story of uh, freshman year uh, at Susquehanna when I had a lot of success in an Oscar pool because that was the year of Slumdog Millionaire. Right. And, and it was nominated in a lot of categories and I just picked it in all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was basically always right. Um, I'm doing that this year with with Nomadland. Um, I think I think it's going to sweep in that way. Um, moving on to original screenplay. Yes. Um, once I uh, cha- uh, corrected my error, I predicted Mank, The Five Bloods, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Minari, and Judas of Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Um, those last three are correct. Uh-huh. Uh, Mank is incorrect and The Five Bloods is incorrect. Um, the Five Bloods is another story. Uh, we need to talk about how much that movie was ignored and how yeah. shocked I am and how disappointed I am by that. Um, instead, uh, they nominated for original screenplay Sound of Metal, which again is a movie that I saw and thought would be ignored, but it yeah. very much has not been ignored, as we'll see. So weird. Um, and um, not that I think it deserves to be ignored. Um, I sort of thought that it didn't live up to the hype because I had heard it was really good. And I just thought it was pretty good. Um, but but still, it just didn't seem that much like an Oscars-y movie to me. But I guess I should have been in the frame of mind of like, well, it's this it's this disability story on screen mm. and we're not used to seeing stories about deaf people. Um, so uh, it's all, it's also very good. And so I'm, I'm not saying that it's snuck in because of what it's, you know, just because of what it's about. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that more importantly, in my opinion, the last, the last nominee in this category is promising young woman. Right. Which I yes. said that we were going to talk about, which yeah. I had not seen, but I have since seen. Liz, have you seen Promising Young Woman? I haven't, but I know that I feel like I've seen women talk about it in two different ways. Mm-hmm. It is it is a somewhat polarizing movie. I've heard women like Carmen Maria Machado talk about it as being a really unique take on this female experience Mm -hmm. that felt really empowering. Yeah. And I've also heard people say that they were basically really betrayed by the ending. Yeah. And that I forget who said this on Twitter, but they said, I wanted to throw my remote at the screen or something. Like, let me just say real quick that there is more to be betrayed by than just the ending um, in the, plot of the movie uh and i really maybe, maybe the person said by the end but i that mm, was the that was the two. i think that you were right on the money okay that i very much look forward to the day when you have seen this movie and we can talk about it because it okay. is it is such a conversation starter yeah and um uh dana and i saw it together and talked about it plenty but I am ready to have that conversation with you and any one of my friends who sees the movie because I nice. just think that it's really interesting and it really could go either way. Yeah. Like what your take on it is or what anyone's take on it is. Um, it's a 
it's a trip. It's it's just a trip, and I won't say any more about it because we should save it for when you've seen it. Yeah, sure. Um, which takes us to uh, let's go to lead actress. Yeah. Um, okay, so in this category, uh, I achieved a milestone. Perfect. Five out of five. And I achieved it in almost the most boring way possible. You just copied the Golden Globes. Precisely right. Now, <laughs> I say I say almost. Yeah. Because let's remember. Yeah. This is lead, not supporting. Yes. And in not all categories, but the major, major ones in the Golden Globes, unlike the Oscars, they make a distinction between dramas and comedies slash musicals. And they right. have separate yes. categories for each. Yes. So if we were talking supporting, then in the Globes, there's just one supporting actress. And I could have copied that one to one. In lead, there are 10 nominees at the Golden Globes. Five drama, pool. five comedy. Yeah. So it's not the same as just doing one to one the same five. However, I did do just the five that were in drama and none of the ones that were in comedy. <laughs> and I was 100% correct because the Oscars did the exact same thing. Wow. So what were they? Those five are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, yeah, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, a movie I had never heard of, yeah, but saw the Globe nomination, so I watched the trailer to the movie, and I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. I definitely can't think of stronger alternative yeah to this person i've never heard of um, <laughs> because also by the way looking at the best best picture field as i understood it as i was doing my predictions yeah it's on uh, for uh, it's unfortunately a very male dominated field yeah um between one night in miami judas and the black messiah mm-hmm. Trial of the Chicago Seven, um, The Five Bloods, you know, it, it, like lots of male heavy casts, not a lot of leading women. And so it's not like yeah. there was a lot to choose from when I was picking this category, uh, unfortunately. I just want to say that I did know about this movie. Okay. Because I had seen screenshots of Natasha Lyonne in it looking so hot. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I'm not familiar with that. Um, the last she nomi- she mm. plays she plays someone that like is one of the people that Billie Holiday makes out with. Okay. Cool. Um, the last nominee is Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, which I had heard of just because it's on Netflix, and I you know Netflix sort of tried to promote it to me. Uh, I watched the trailer. Yeah, that totally makes sense as an Oscars-y performance. Uh, however, I will not watch the movie now because I know from watching the trailer that it has the stink of Shia LaBeouf all over it. Uh, so even though I think Vanessa Kirby is great and I'd love to see her in a movie, I uh, probably won't watch that one. Who is Vanessa Kirby? She uh, played 
Jason Statham's sister in Hobbs and Shaw. I'm sorry, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Uh-huh. She was also young Princess Margaret in The Crown, seasons one okay. and two. Okay, that's what I know her from. And she uh, played a role in Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay. Uh, and she's good in all of them. Nice. Um, who's going to win in this category? Uh, once again, uh, I'm predicting a, a Nomadland sweep. Got to give it to Francis McDormand. This reminds me, I wanted to tell you uh, the monologue joke that I have written for this year's Oscars. Okay. Um, who knows if there will be a monologue? Uh-huh. Um, I have not heard anything about a host. I assume there's not going to be one, mm-hmm. but there must be presenters. Somebody's got to say something. Um, I wrote this in my uh, letterboxed review uh, when I gave Nomadland five stars. Um, Ooh, a rare five star. Indeed. Uh, it's my favorite movie of the year. Uh, and I think that this is a perfect monologue joke for the Oscars audience. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if you will get it. Uh, and uh, if I were a real professional joke writer, I'm sure I could find the tightest phrasing for it. Mm-hmm. But I'm an amateur, so I'm going to do my, you know, not so tight version of it. Um, Nomadland stars Francis McDormand, directed by Chloe Zhao. And I bet uh, I bet uh, Francis McDormand wanted to work with Chloe Zhao after hearing that she made a movie called The Writer. And she probably thought it was about an inclusion writer. <laughs> Are you well, laughing because you remember that or be, just because that sounds funny? Because it sounds funny? Wait, what is what is the reference you're making? Do you, So you don't remember the, the context for the joke is that a few years ago, Frances McDormand won an Academy Award for her role in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Right, yes. And she closed her Oscars uh, acceptance speech by uh, very righteously and forcefully saying, for everyone in the industry, everyone here tonight, I've just got two words for you, inclusion writer. And then she stormed off. Ah. And that sent everyone in the world watching to Google, what does that, what do you mean by inclusion writer? And you know what a writer is. Yes. Yeah. And so an inclusion writer being when you write it into your writer that like, For example, like a certain percentage of like the crew on this project has to be, you know, diverse in a way that, you know, so many are women and so many are non-white and et cetera. And you and you leverage your power as the star to, you know, give opportunities to, um, you know, women and minorities, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it, it was just a little bit of a memeable moment, the way that she said inclusion writer. And I thought, oh, how perfect. <laughs> she's, she's in this Chloe Zhao movie and Chloe Zhao made the writer. Yeah. Which really, Nomadland, just incredible. I told this to you via text message, but we started watching the movie and it's very, it's, I think it's actually paced really, really well, but it's a very quiet movie. Yeah. Um, Not, I mean, what's the phrasing here? Like, 
partially because Frances McDormand's acting, so much of it is just her, like, beautiful face shifting and changing as she thinks and and receives information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then halfway through, I started, because her husband died after a stint in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she wears a lot of these like work coats, yeah. which is what my mother-in-law wears. Mm-hmm. And then I just started crying. Yeah. And then I just didn't stop. <laughs> right. But it's like, it, it is, besides the fact that it's shot stunningly, mm-hmm. um, the story is one that really does build like um, like snow falling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well put. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, 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 I've recently become self-conscious about, uh, popping my peas on the podcast <laughs> and, uh, wishing that I had a, uh, microphone with a pop, uh, filter. Why don't you make your, your makeshift? Yeah. My coat hanger and coat uh, hanger. stocking. Yeah. Stocking. I knew you would remember that. I'm sure Dana has stockings you could take. That was in the days before I had this particular microphone. Uh, we've got three categories left. Let's do it. Lead actor. I predicted uh, Gary Oldman for Mank, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm-hmm. Delroy Lindo for The Five Bloods, Stephen Yun for Minari, and Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Uh, four out of those five are correct. Uh, the one that is incorrect, uh, unfortunately, I think very sadly, uh, is Delroy Lindo for the uh largely neglected the five bloods mm. uh instead they nominated riz ahmed uh who is the lead in sound of metal which oh, okay again was not expecting it to pop up so much but there it is and i think that that is deserved but who cares it does not matter this oscar is obviously going to the late chadwick boseman yeah. rest in peace um, Who do you think will accept that for him, his wife? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, uh, I would assume so. Uh, moving on to director. Yes. Um, I uh, predicted. So so looking at the best picture field, besides the other thing that I said earlier about the male-dominated casts, I was also thinking to myself, hmm, maybe... I don't know if this has anything to do with the pandemic and what was delayed and what was released and but but it seems like a year where they would really have to go far out of their way to reward white men more than other people. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's reflected in a lot of the stuff that we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. Um but that problem is part I'm using so many P's. That problem is particularly persistent in in the category of director. Yeah. And so uh I was uh sort of going back and forth about like, okay, how much do I hope for the best and how much do I be realistic about, you know, what I think they tend to do. Um and so here's what I came up with. My five were Spike Lee for The Five Bloods, mm-hmm. David Fincher for Mank, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, mm-hmm. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, and then finally, I, there were a lot of places I could have gone, but I just decided, so far this list is not stupid enough. Uh-huh. I need a chaos pick in here. Yeah. So my chaos pick was Christopher Nolan for Tenet. Yeah. 
thankfully, my chaos pick was wrong. <laughs> uh, however, um, there is a there is a chaos nominee. Yeah. Um, the chaos nominee is uh, Thomas Vinterberg. Who's that? Who indeed? <laughs> Director of a Danish film starring Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, that guy. Uh-huh. What a creep. Called, I mean, he, pre- he might he's might actually be a very nice man, but he plays creeps. He seems great. Yeah. <laughs> the movie is called Another Round. Oh. And you know what it you know what Another Round is not nominated for? Spoiler. Anything else? <laughs> well, specifically Best Picture. Oh. It is nominated for International Feature. Oh, okay, which we- is not one of the categories we're Covering, discussing otherwise right. yeah but we'll 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 briefly discuss that at the end if there's time mm-hmm. um this has happened before in recent memory i don't remember the fella's name but i remember <laughs> that in the past few years there was a movie called cold war mm-hmm. i remember it was an international feature i don't remember right. where it was from maybe france that was last year wasn't it i feel like it was 2 years ago uh, in fact, looking I'm, up Cold War on Wikipedia isn't going to be useful, is it? <laughs> Cold War movie, perhaps. Um, 2018. I'm, it was a yeah. Polish film. Polish, right? Thank you. By Pawel. Pawel. Pawelowski. Pawelowski, right? Right. Yes, that rings a bell now. Um, he was nominated for best director. I don't believe that Cold War was nominated for best picture. Yeah. But I'm sure it was nominated in international feature, and I'm sure it probably won. Um, no, it didn't win. So oh. for the Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Director, Best Foreign Language Film, and Best Cinematography, and it was just nominated. It didn't win anything. Oh, I w- can you find out what won foreign language feature? I called yeah. it international feature, but of course, they just started last year calling it international feature. At the time, film. it was foreign language film. Um. The other uh, thing I got wrong was they didn't nominate Spike Lee, as as I keep saying over and over again. A um, fantastic woman. Oh, right. Okay. I never did see that, but I actually might have predicted that correctly. Oh, that's funny. Funny the, enough. The, the poster for this, by the way, is incredible, and you should look at it later. Fantastic woman? Yeah. Yeah, I could actually, I can picture that poster in my head. I remember seeing the trailer. Yeah. I remember thinking I would like to see that. I remember it was a foreign movie about a trans woman actually being played by a real life trans woman. And oh I, shoot! And I was like, "No way!" <laughs> okay, you know, that's why I wanted to see it. But I, I, I figures I haven't gotten around to seeing it. But yeah. But I think for that reason, I did actually um, pick that for the winner that night. So um, instead of Spike Lee, who who directed Defy Bloods, which I think is great and should have been nominated in way more categories. As it is, it was only nominated for score, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who they nominated? No. Egg on my face. They nominated <laughs> a second woman. Oh, look at you. Uh, they nominated, well, look at them, really, and look <laughs> at her. Um, Emerald Fennell, director of Promising Young Woman. That is a fucking name. Yeah. Emerald Fennel? Emerald Fennel. Ruby. <laughs> Broccoli. Cabbage. <laughs> like. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Sapphire Chives. Right up right up your alley. This is my deal. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so now before we get into best picture, I have to pause and take a moment to oh. recognize that because, as I think I made clear, I have not put the amount of preparation into this episode <laughs> as I did previous uh, iterations of this yes. episode. Um, you know what I haven't done is I have I haven't said anything about my personal picks. Right. Yeah. For who who my winner is, not my prediction of who's going to win. The will the will award. But the William what would you award. call it? The, the William will, award. Yeah, the William award. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't formal enough. So. Um, this might be the only category where I have a really strong opinion about who the winner of the William Award is. Mm-hmm. For Best Director, the winner of the William Award is Spike Lee. Oh, okay. Um, I, uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, I was not a big fan of the film Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. And so I went into watching The Five Bloods with fairly low expectations. Mm-hmm which the film soared above uh, and uh, thought it was fantastic. But also, uh, let's not forget, uh, it just so happens Spike Lee directed not one, but two of the best films of the year, because it's also Spike Lee who directed David Byrne's American Utopia, which you can watch the film version of on HBO Max. And which is a live show that I very much wanted to see in person in New York, but wouldn't get the opportunity. Um, and uh, yeah, it's David Byrne's show. Yeah. But it's also a movie directed by Spike Lee. <laughs> um, so for two reasons, uh, mm-hmm. he gets the the William Award. Uh, I'm just looking back at these other categories. Um, you know what? I'll do that after we do best okay. picture let's yeah. do best picture first so uh we've talked extensively and we don't have to talk again about how there is a variable number of nominees yes. in this category for the past several years i correctly predicted that there would be eight no more no less uh nominees in this category eight. i predicted that the eight would be nomadland minari mm-hmm. De five bloods mank first cow Judas and the Black Messiah, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Tenet, again, Mm -hmm. chaos pick. I also allowed myself to put in parentheses a nine and a 10 as sort of alternates, Mm -hmm. thinking if these get in, I won't really give myself credit, but I want it on the record that I think these are nine and 10. Yeah. And they were Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami. Right. Well, I was right to leave both of those out. Oh, good. They okay. were both. I not mean, I'm sorry for those movies, but of the eight that I uh, officially predicted, five of those are correct. Oh wow! So in like a normal category, you would have nailed it. I don't know if I would have, if I limited myself to just five. I don't think that I would have picked the correct five. Okay. Um, but five out of eight are correct, and those five are Nomadland, Minari, Mank, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Trial of the Chicago Seven. The Five Bloods, shockingly, not nominated for Best Picture. You know it was The Father. Mm-hmm. What if there was a father? Tenet, obviously not nominated for Best yeah. Picture. You know what was Sound of Metal, Yeah, a movie that I 
have been repeatedly punished for ignoring. Yeah. Um, and you know what definitely wasn't nominated, I think, for anything, let alone Best Picture, uh, is First Cow. Again, one yeah. of the best movies of the year. Um, you know, what was nominated for Best Picture is Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's A it. really interesting... There's just some really interesting things in the mix. This, yeah, especially this for year. such a weird year. Yeah. Um, by I the, have a I have a trivia just, that you... Just real oh, quick. I don't need to say it because of the blanket statement that I've already made. But since I didn't actually say it, I predict Chloe Zhao will win director. Yeah. And I predict Nomadland will win best picture. Yes. Fingers crossed. That's really what I'm hoping for And in addition to predicting. Yes. What's your trivia? If I'm remembering this correctly, the last movie to win Best Picture that was entirely in black and white was Schindler's List in 1993. Now, I've heard heard some criticism of this because I haven't seen Schindler's List. (laughs) Can't even say it, let alone see it. (laughs) Apparently, there's a silent character in that movie. Do you know about this? Okay. Just, uh, no, I don't. Can I Can I call a timeout? I'm sorry yeah. I'm breaking your momentum. But you said entirely in black and white. Yes. I have not seen Schindler's List. Yes. But something I think I know about it is that it's not entirely in black and white. I think that there's pointedly some red in that movie. That was what I was going to say. Okay. And then the other thing is I have not seen The Artist. But uh-huh. I'm sure that the artist won Best Picture more recently than Schindler's List. And I'm sure the artist is in black and white. I just assumed that it was entirely black and white. But maybe there's okay. some color in it I don't know about. Let me just look really quick. The last movie in black. No. So the reason that um, I was saying there's some criticism of this is because there's a sort of silent character, which is this girl that wears this, I think, red coat. Yes. And that that is not in black and white in the movie. That I have heard of, despite never seeing the movie. Okay, so... The artist won Best Picture in, like, I want to say maybe 2012, 2011, something like that. Let's see. This is saying that... Everything that's coming up is saying that it was Schindler's List right now. Okay. Um. Oh, except over here it says the artist. Mm. That's so weird that all of the, all of the Google results are saying Schindler's List, mm-hmm. but on the right it just says the artist, like in the <laughs> sidebar. Yeah. Okay. Now I have not seen Mank. But I looked it up, and it mm-hmm. seems like Mank is in black and white. I have seen Mank, and I can tell you, Mank is in black and white. So this could possibly be uh, bringing that trivia fact up. Yes, we, we, we have to acknowledge, I'm glad you brought this up, because we have not taken any time to talk about Mank, nor have we talked about the criteria that I have explored in the past few years for how you pick the best picture winner yeah and i thought it was all about being you know appealing to liberals politically and i've been right about that before like with spotlight winning best picture mm-hmm. but then also they've thrown curveballs at me where i decided oh actually just as important if not more important is is your movie a love letter 
to Hollywood. To cinema, yeah. And nothing is a love letter to cinema and Hollywood like Mank is. Because it's about um, Orson Welles. Well, more so. Citizen Kane. Yes, it's about about the writer of Citizen Kane. Do you know? That's who Gary Oldman is playing. Right. Do you know the fact about the last role that Orson Welles ever did? Uh, you mean not on camera, but voice role? The yes, the last sort of line in his resume before mm-hmm. he died was it was a voice role because it was for Transformers. Yes, <laughs> it was the voice of um, Megatron. Was it was uh, something like that. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's great. Because um, that guy, while great, was definitely a dick. Uh, just uh, uh, shout out uh, to, uh, you know, I've uh, it's the end of March. I've been listening to, uh, you know, uh, Mar- March is a very important month for the podcasts that I listen to mm-hmm. because it's March Madness for Blank Check and it's the Tournament of Champions for the Doughboys podcast. Uh-huh. And uh, at the end of uh, the uh, Doughboys Tournament of Champions, in addition to uh, uh, crowning a winner and giving them the Dave Thomas Cup. They also, as a kind of, also ran, give out the Heart of a Champion Award (laughs) to someone or something. Yeah. Um, And in that style or in that vein, I would like to give uh, a Heart of a Champion uh, shout out to a particular supporting actor in the film Mank, uh, whose name is Joseph Cross. Uh, remembered for roles in films such as uh, Lincoln, Running oh, with yeah. Scissors, uh, but most importantly known for being the older brother of my best friend in high school, Brian Cross. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone I have a like two degrees of separation personal connection to. That's incredible. Who has worked with Steven Spielberg, David Fincher, yeah. Uh, the list goes on. Yeah. Let's see. Supporting act. I, I want to say the William Award for Supporting Actor goes to Chadwick Boseman. I mm-hmm. think that uh, there's something very magical about Chadwick Boseman's part in The Five Bloods. Let me pull up my, I, I guess, um, Adapt, uh, Nomad Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is my favorite of the year. So that's the William yeah. Award for Best Picture. Um, I already said Spike Lee for Director. Um, I want to give something to First Cow. So I'll give it the William Award for Best Supporting Cow. Um, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, no, I'll give it. A, I'll give it adapted screenplay because it's based yeah, for sure. based on a book. Um, I'm gonna look back at my favorites list for the year. I'm going to break from the way that the awards have categorized certain mm-hmm. uh, performers. Yeah, sure. Um, by saying that Alan Kim is the lead of Minari. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give uh, uh, the William Award for lead actor to, to, to the <laughs> little boy in Minari. Yes, please. Uh, best actress. I mean, obviously it's Frances McDormand. Um, but just to shout out a couple of people who, mm-hmm. you know, could have been included in a tough year. Um, one of the best movies of the year is called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Um, oh, yeah. It's about two uh, very, uh, two, two like high school uh, age girls 
traveling from their small town in Pennsylvania to uh, New York City um, by themselves um, in secret uh, because one of them needs an abortion. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. Sydney Flanagan is the name of the lead in that movie. She's great. Um, also, uh, one of the best movies of the year is called The Vast of Night. Uh, it's a Twilight Zone-esque, uh, War of the Worlds-esque uh, sci-fi movie that you can watch on Amazon Prime. And Sierra McCormick, I'm seeing here, is the name of uh, one of the leads in that movie. She's uh, great. Unfortunately, um, every year the uh, Academy publishes a list of all of the movies that are eligible. Um, and I look at that list to make sure that yeah. my predictions are actually eligible. Um, the Vast of Night is not on the list. Presumably it didn't mm. have a theatrical run. Release, yeah, jeez. Um, and I have said on the record before that in order to be eligible for a William Award, you must be eligible for an Oscar. So mm. um, sorry, Vast of Night. Um, I still think you're great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't do original screenplay. Uh, I'm going to say The Five Bloods uh, wins. And uh, have I done supporting actress? No, I guess I haven't. Um, definitely The Grandma and Minari. Nice. Yeah. Um, Ye Jung. Yaun. There, I, I said her name again, correctly or not. Um, <laughs> so uh, before we say goodbye, uh, let's just take a brief look at some of the other categories. Okay. Yes. Um, for example, I think it is interesting to talk about animated feature. Yes. Um, the nominees in animated feature are Onward, Over the Moon, oh, right. a Shaun the Sheep movie, colon, Farmageddon. Soul and Wolf Walkers. Uh -huh. um, it is interesting and kind of remarkable that it is a double Pixar year. Both yeah. Onward and Soul are nominated and competing with each other. Um, I think Wolf Walkers is better than either of them. Um, yeah. And I would be very happy to see Wolf Walkers win. Mm -hmm. However, on the day, I'm probably going to predict uh, that Soul is going to be the winner. Yeah, and I liked Soul way better than Onward, too. Uh, yeah, I agree. I liked both. Um, there's like a star, I liked, there's like I liked a half Onward. a star I felt, difference. I felt betrayed by the end of Onward, but... Soul has some... And Soul has some problems. Soul has some issues that, that dock it at least, at least a star. Yeah, um, for sure. But it's still better than Onward, but, but... My friend Jeremy, who I've mentioned before, who is black, mm -hmm. said that watching soul felt like watching get out as a Pixar movie right. for him. Yeah. I think you mentioned that. And I've told you my joke about soul, which I wrote in my letterbox review, you know, that Tina Fey, she's so wacky. She eats night cheese. She can't get away from blackface. Waka waka. <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, have said uh, before when we looked at, you know, like last year when uh, uh, when we look at the international feature category, mm -hmm. last year it was like, oh, gee, I wonder if Parasite's going to win because it's the only one of the international features that's also nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. We don't have a case like that, but we do have the case of another round 
where the director is nominated and none of the other international features can say Mm -hmm. that. Now, we just learned by doing our research, that's not foolproof. We saw Mm -hmm. a fantastic woman, won over Cold War a couple of years ago. Um, But still, um, my pick is probably going to be another round unless I learn something about one of the other nominees between now and April 25th. Mm-hmm. Um, original score, uh, Defive Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. Um, I would love to see Minari win for its score, which I thought was outstandingly beautiful. Um, I would not be at all surprised if Soul were the winner. Yeah. Because Soul is about music, music. and about a musician. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I don't know. It's sort of like the obvious choice. And a lot of times that's, that's what wins. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about sound, uh, real quick. There used to be two categories. One was sound mixing. The other was sound editing. Right. And people were like, what's the difference? And our friend Park has explained it to us. <laughs> yes. Because he has a degree and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, now, uh, no one will ask that question anymore because they combined those two categories. Into one category, it's just sound. Yeah. The nominees are another Tom Hanks movie, not News of the World, that I bet you also haven't heard of. It's called Greyhound. What? It's a war movie. Uh, Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, two Tom Hanks movies, um, Soul, and Sound of Metal. Um, uh, Sound of Metal has sound in the name. I, I think I think Sound of Metal has to win in this category. Well, and it's about somebody who's losing their hearing, right? And there, I I think or so they must do weird shit with the sound in that movie. That's like meaningful. you're exactly right. I I yeah. I thought the most remarkable achievement of that movie was what they did with the sound to put you in the head of this guy mm-hmm. who is losing his hearing. So uh, that has to win in this category. Um, Anything else would be insane. And as we know, stupid, insane stuff happens all the time. And so I'm sure it'll lose. Um, (laughs) Costume design. uh, We've got Emma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. Um, What? Yes. (laughs) I knew that was going to get you. What? Yeah. What cat? I wait. I'm sorry. What category is this again? Costume design. There was a Pinocchio movie there was that was a, just fucking called Pinocchio. There was a new Pinocchio movie. It is not Disney. Is it live action? I believe so. Yes. I mean, it's nominated in costume design, so they're not going to. Oh, it would be very funny if it was animated. It would be pretty funny. <laughs> um, we, of course, remember uh, now that we've done the quiz in January, what last year's costume winner was. It was Little Women. Yeah. Um, and so uh, for that reason, I think Emma is going to win uh, for costumes. I think that when they're choosing costumes, they uh, like uh, old-fashioned pretty dresses. They like 18th century pretty dresses that yep. have a lot of... Um, layers right uh cinematography nomadland is nominated in this category so i will pick that however also the cinematography was incredible in nomadland it is gorgeous yes there's i mean there's a reason there's there are many reasons why it's my favorite movie of the year so that's why i I wanted to sweep also i mean just really quickly like i feel like part of the i feel like the cinematography is part of the 
like supporting evidence for the thesis of the film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I, I feel like the thesis of the film is like this wo- this woman isn't crazy like this life actually does make sense for some people and she's like the person and like part of the reason that you can because like the criticism might be like well working these like weird labor jobs that's so inconsistent isn't stable and like part of the argument is like yeah but look at what she sees yeah and it's just this overwhelming like sublime like the sublime beauty we have to have a longer conversation about the very thing that you're talking about which i thought we might have but we do not have time to have right now (laughs) it's true it's true yeah because i have thought about the thesis of the movie and i have thought about how it's open to that interpretation and that there might be some room for criticism there in thinking that the movie's assumption is that some people are just like this when actually a more important, more meaningful, more relevant thesis would be, you know, capitalism has put these people in this position. And, and Oh, yeah. No, they, that's absolutely part of it. Right. Um, and I, I think the movie is very uh, interesting in how it is open to interpretation, how much of it is personal and how much of the sort of you were always different is mm-hmm. just a narrative that we come up with in order to justify leave, you know, leaving some people on the margins of society. Yeah. Um, because the movie does not come out and say that, Mm-hmm. I think that makes it, you know, art <laughs> rather than yeah, yeah, rather than sure. a sermon. Yes. But I think that we are living in times where we are, a lot of us are desperate for sermons that say the right things yeah. more than we are desperate for the most engaging art. Have you seen Fleabag? Yes. It's like when she says, I just want someone to tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we, what I mean is, I think. Slightly different, but I've seen, same, I've, same vibe. <laughs> I would not go as far as to say that I've seen backlash to Nomadland, but I've seen people, more, more than one person, who's really like lukewarm on Nomadland, a movie that I think is excellent. Is, yeah. And so I think the, Perhaps my personal explanation for why someone would watch that movie and be lukewarm on it is reasonably so a lot of people are in a position where they they want their, you know, um, art and entertainment and media and culture to clearly and unambiguously reflect their values. Yeah, for sure. And there's room for interpretation in in Nomadland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've I also think seen so- people be really critical that they weren't hard enough on Amazon. Exactly. That's exactly the next thing that I was going to yeah. say. Is that some people see a person in the movie say the words, "You can make good money working at Amazon," and they take that as a flaw of the movie. Because no one ever comes out and says no one would should work at Amazon. They're and they are in fact evil. Yeah. Anyway. 
Um, let's. Uh, 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 oh yeah, I was gonna say the the only thing that I think that can compete with Nomadland in cinematography is Mank. I Ooh. for a moment I was tempted to pick Mank before I decided no. I'm sticking with Nomadland everywhere possible. The next uh, category down is production design. Uh, the Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet are the nominees. Notice that Nomadland is not there. Therefore, yeah. I will pick Mank in production design, which I think it will Perfect. win. Yeah. Film editing, we have Nomadland there. Visual effects... I think that Tenet will win for visual effects. Um, and then I haven't seen any of the shorts. No point in talking about those. <laughs> uh, makeup and hairstyling. Um, wouldn't it be funny if Hillbilly Elegy won that? Um, that's nominated. So I'll probably pick it because, mm-hmm. as I said, I'm Jokerfied. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and then I think the only oh we, we I didn't say documentary feature I haven't seen any of these. However, one of these movies is called Collective, and in addition to being nominated here in documentary feature, it's also nominated in international feature. So Ooh. I just think that's interesting. So maybe maybe I'll pick that documentary there since I'm picking another round in international feature. Yeah. Again, unless I learn more information, more information. that will sway me in a different direction. And finally, song. Um, there are original songs nominated in Judas and the Black Messiah, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, One Night in Miami, something called The Life Ahead, which I think is from another country. Okay. And Eurovision Song Contest, colon, The Fires. The, the, I'm sorry, The Story of Fire Saga. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Eurovision Song Contest? The uh, movie starring... Uh, Will Ferrell that came out on Netflix. Oh, yes, actually. Yeah, Yeah, I am familiar with that. Um, Weird. A movie with a lot of songs and original songs, and one of them is nominated. So that presumably will be fun to see performed. Um, But uh, the three of these songs, I think, are in like a very similar genre, Mm -hmm. which is like the heartfelt song that plays over the credits oh wow okay and those are all those are in judas and the black messiah trial of the chicago seven and one night in miami i mean Mm -hmm. even if you haven't seen these movies if you know a little bit about them and what they're about you know these are playing in a similar ballpark yeah um I think it's sort of, which makes it a little hard to pick one in my opinion, but the the one I decided I'm going to pick is the one from One Night in Miami, because I was was looking at who these people are who were nominated for the songs, and I saw that Leslie Odom Jr. is nominated, Mm -hmm. one of two nominees for this song in One Night in Miami. And he is a performer who is in the movie who is nominated for supporting right. actor. Yeah. So I think because people know who he is and liked him in the movie enough to nominate him, yeah. I think that song will will win. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that's it until April 25th. 
I'm so excited to see how you do. Are you going to live tweet it again? Oh, I'm sure I will. Yeah. Why not? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I'm sure I will uh, invite friends over to my house. Because you can. And welcome them indoors uh, without masks. And we will all sit around uh, watching the Oscars together. My heart. That warms me. And, and And you could be one of them. (laughs) <laughs> if only if only you lived here oh it's true mm. it's true one day right yeah good for sure good that's that's all i want to hear but, i mean eventually i'm gonna get sick of winter and be like i would like to be not depressed at all moments so hey yeah the weather's perfect for you here you you I do love humidity though <laughs> well well it's a trade-off like well, anything. and actually, I will say, when I was in Tucson, I remember being like, this humidity I can deal with. It was when I was in Las Cruces that I was like, what the fuck is mm. happening? I remember being like, the sun isn't connected to the air, which isn't connected to my body, and something is wrong. Yeah, it takes some getting used to. But you you would adapt, and, and, and you would like it more than I do, and I live here. <laughs> it's true. I would definitely like it more than you. Yeah. So um, anything else before we sign off? That's good. I'm so excited. And I think you did a great job with this episode oh, this year. I, oh, shoot. I never, okay. I never said a total. Oh, so, yeah. So in total, I made 43 predictions. Uh-huh. And of those 43, 30 were correct. That's good. That is equivalent to 70%. You've, you've passed. It is a passing grade. Um, it is not the best I've ever done. If I remember correctly, I think last year I did like 72 or 73%. Correct, Still but though. it's close. Still. It's close to the best, and mm-hmm. it's uh, certainly not the worst I've done. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, and again, that was with like a medium amount of effort, not nearly the amount of effort that I that I put in one or two years ago. Yeah, for sure. So going forward, um, yeah, why not continue this way? Yeah, uh, and uh, I look forward to you know recapping the winners later with you and. Talking about Promising Young Woman with you one day soon, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll try to find it. And Lupin the Third, the First, I hope. Yes. And uh, many more movies to come. Great. All right. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, Liz. Good night, Will. Love you. Good night. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at Youngest of One. And his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram at exclamate underscore on Twitter or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. 